can you sail under the command of a pirate? Or can you not? You don't listen, do you? I don't think you ever really hear me. This nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. It stuck with me. I kept coming back to it, just trying to figure out where in the world we had gone so wrong that it had ended up here. Well, I didn't think you had it in you. I'm your huckleberry. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Why, Johnny Ringo. You look like somebody just walked over your grave. Fight's not with you, Holiday. I beg to differ, sir. We started a game we never got to finish. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? We got here is... Failure to communicate. Some man you just can't reach. You keep using the horse. I don't think it means what you think it means. You don't tell your pappy how to cut the electorate. We ain't one at a time in here. We're mass communicating. Oh, you're yeah. not at the time. Are you not And welcome to the Pirate Professor Podcast. This is your captain speaking. So hopefully everybody's having a great day out there, or a great evening, or whatever time of the day, afternoon, morning, evening it happens to be. I am recording this on a Monday right after a holiday weekend. Technically it's still a holiday weekend because it's a three-day weekend. But, uh, since, you know, there's no telling when you're listening to it. The holidays that matter. It's just a holiday. And, um, one of the things that make this one unique is I've been having, I'm becoming more and more aware when I spend too much time online and too much time staring at a screen, whether that's a phone or computer, start to get eye strain. I guess that's a, um. And then the eye strain leads to headaches. And headaches just sort of leave to lousy afternoons and whatnot when you, it's hard to concentrate. And so I just decided it's time to start, you know, turning the volume down on life a little bit. So uh, one of the first things I did was I just deleted all the social media apps off my phone. Uh, I don't know if, if you are like me, but if you get those little notifications about how much time you've been spending staring at your phone or whatever screen time sometimes it gets to be a little bit depressing when you start thinking about all the other things you could have been doing with that time and i've noticed a few other things about it's harder to stay focused for longer periods of time it's harder to sit down and just read a book um, because my brain is just not activated in the same way that it would be um, with the social media feed and we can talk about that at some other point but those social media feeds are a are designed 
and this isn't conspiracy theory talking this is legitimate industry inside knowledge those things are designed to be as addictive as possible because they they want you to keep coming back um every time you get a little notification somebody clicked on something you posted or they liked it or whatever you get that sort of gratification it's kind of like a, a slot machine it's sort of this what you would call intermittent rewards and every time you get one of those little things it's like hey somebody liked your thing whether you know it or not you're getting a, your brain's giving you a, you're getting this little shot of dopamine in your system and dopamine makes you feel good and so we start to crave that because you know you look at it and you just sort of get this feeling where everything just feels good and you want that and you crave that and so the next thing you know every absolute free moment that you have instead of letting yourself sort of drift away in boredom you pull out the phone start scrolling start clicking start doing something you just you, you just can't seem to stop yourself and, and I know that's the way it is for me and at least the moments where I'm, I'm not really doing that much you know I'm just sort of sitting around I don't have a lot going on I'm not like doing something with my hands those are the times it's the hardest or it's the, it's the easiest to just sort of pull that thing out and go and one of the things I've been thinking about and noticing here lately is that it's not just that but sort of like everything around me the volume's turned up like it's all it's everything there's just it sort of drowns out everything so like actually right before um i recorded this i could i could just care to hear this sort of hum in the background of all the sort of the background noise and what it was was air conditioners running refrigerators running fans running all these little things are running because it's warm outside and and they just sort of create this white noise around me and you know you tend to tune that out um, we do that with all kinds of our brains are just sort of wired to they give us what we think we need and then kind of after a while we just sort of we just sort of tune everything out and so what happens is we just sort of gradually increasingly turn up the volume until after a while you know nothing's sweet enough nothing's spicy enough nothing's whatever enough you know and we've we've lost the ability to appreciate subtle and so this weekend for me I, I decided I needed to go back to subtle a little bit more and so I deleted all the social media apps wanted my eyes to have a chance to have a break and I just took off out in the mountains and you know I climbed a mountain I went hiking around a river I just did stuff outside and it's one of those you just try to sit and listen and you realize there's actually a lot more going on around you if you'll just stop for a moment and listen and just listen listen Linda got it alright so that being said what we're gonna do today is start on chapter five. Oh, by the way this is for my intro to multimedia class if somebody else is not doing uh if they're just sort of following along make sure either you're in the right class or you're not or you're just listening because you want to listen beyond that 
I am so we're going to talk about groundwork today and this is where we're actually starting to get into the world of like hands-on journalism this is the, the this is what makes the world go round up to this point we've just been doing a lot of I don't want to call it boring stuff but it's kind of boring um, and so now we're going to get into a little bit more interesting kind of the in-depth uh, world of things how journalism works so if you're if you're listening to this and you don't happen to be in my class well you're welcome to sit and audit that's fine with me um but this give you a little sort of insight about like how journalism works like real journalism works uh this week there was a story that came out about the president and it was a unfavorable story to say the least and Normally, like when stuff comes out, like I'm not one to just publish anything and everything or share it on on social media. But this one came out from the Atlantic, and it was written by the editor in chief. And so the the Atlantic is a a really prestigious publication, and you just don't get to be you don't get to publish in that that magazine. Unless you got all your ducks in a row and, and, you know, all your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed and whatnot. And you certainly don't get to be the editor-in-chief of that publication without having your crap together. So when a story comes out and it's written by that guy, I pay attention. And it was immediately discounted is just garbage is untrue lies fake news all of these things uh and and one of the things that made what was really sort of interesting about this story is how much it got under the skin of the uh, president's supporters and i'm intentionally leaving out all the details in this because i don't want to get into the weeds of what it was and why it matters or whatnot i just want to talk about kind of the thirty thousand foot view this story really bugged a lot of people um that was that were supporters of the president and again just immediately discounted it and if you listen to my podcast on story and specifically when the i think the second part when i talked about cognitive dissonance that was a case study of cognitive cognitive dissonance in action um because to follow it up it wasn't just the atlantic that confirmed that because a lot of people other publications kind of jumped in behind it and so the washington post confirmed it uh the associated press confirmed it uh and fox news confirmed it now that's significant because when you you know, you, you constantly deal in this day and age with people saying that one side, one you know, media outlet is partisan, so they're either liberal or conservative. And in this particular case, what I would say is some pretty substantial publications on both sides of the political spectrum said, yep, that's true. And that part when we talk about confirmation is exactly the kind of thing that we're talking about today in class is when we we do our research and we go to find sources and we're doing the things that need to be done to confirm stuff because you know if you're just some random dude with a blog 
you could pretty much write anything you want. Nobody's going to come back. It's not going to come back on you too hard. But when people are relying on you for quality information, especially you know when you have a reputation to maintain, as often as publications get accused of fake news, turns out they're far more accurate than a lot of people want to give them credit for. And uh, so we're going to talk about why here today. So but before we do that, got to play a little music. Got to make our little transition from one to two. And so we're going to listen to the hombres. Let it all hang out. I preach, my dear friends, you're about to receive on John Barleycorn, Nicotine, and the Temptations of Eve. No parking by the sewer sign, hot dogs, my razor broke, water dripping up the spout, but I don't care, let it all hang out. Hanging from a pine tree by my knees, sunshine through the shade, nobody knows what it's all about, it's too much man, let it all hang out. Walking upside down, my TV's on the blink Made Galileo look like a boy scout Sorry about that, let it all hang out Sleep all day, drive all night Brain my numb, can't stop now For sure ain't no doubt, keep open mind Let it all hang out Sauerkraut, don't stop now, baby, let it all hang out. 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 All right, so let's get this party started. Click, click, click. Click, click, click. So this is chapter five, groundwork. Again, this is my intro to multimedia class. So hopefully everybody is hanging in there strong. Hope so. All right. So when we get started on the story, first of all, let's let's talk about it. What it is exactly what we do as journalists. Um, one of the things we've been we've been it's been said that we write the first draft of history. Like we we write history in real time. These are the things, and these are the also, also these are the documents that uh, researchers and historians will go back and look at at some point in time, like what people are writing on at the time. Another way to look at it is we tell the stories that reflect the state of humanity. 
And what I mean by that is kind of what's important to a society at a given moment. Those are the stories that emerge from that society. And the journalists are the ones who are writing that stuff down. We're making videos. They're writing print stories. They're doing, we're doing all the things that we do to tell those stories in our own particular ways. And one of the things that makes that useful, especially from a historical standpoint, is it allows somebody to come back in years, years and years and years from now and read the things that were written about this time as it happened. Like not, not reading stuff about this time that other historians have written, but reading the stories that came out in real time it it helps them understand the things that were important at that particular moment in time. So you can go back and you can read old newspapers from, you know, really you can go back a long time. Like if you want to be, you know, get a little historical insight, go back and read some newspapers from, you know, kind of pivot, pivotal moments in time. Like what was going on in your community during the Great Depression? You know, we always see these sort of big stories and kind of you see in historical books, but you you don't necessarily always get a close-up view of how your particular community was affected in that moment, whether or maybe World War II or even go back further to the Civil War. It's pretty easy to go back and find, especially from newspapers, to go back and find records of that time. And you can see things. You can see the kind of stories that people would write. Like, you know, we write stories about the things that are important to people at that time. Um you know, new, journalists often get accused of sensationalism and whatnot, and in some degree that's true. But very often, a lot of what gets written is the stuff that will get read. Um, you know, sort of the, the the consumer sort of dictates what is they're going to receive. You know, because if a journalist is writing one kind of story and nobody reads it and it's pretty dry and straightforward, uh, then and it's not getting read, they typically kind of move on to something else that people do want. And so, you know, it's kind of like it's a consumer sort of process at times. And so you find out what's important to people. Like, what are the things that they wanted to hear? And, you know, and, and you can see the language that they chose to talk about it. And you can see how language changes over, over the years. And so it becomes kind of interesting. It just becomes interesting because you see the state of humanity at any given point in time. And this isn't always something that's very easy. Uh, sometimes we have to wade through a lot of stuff because, you know, people aren't necessarily forthcoming. And then sometimes we have to wade through, you know, court documents. We have to sit through meetings. We have to, we have to go through a lot of complex information in order to tell stories that make sense to just, you know, the average person sitting at home. You know, a lot of people, it's one of those things, and we've talked about this before, a lot of people think they know a lot about what's going on in journalism, but they really don't. You know, you get a lot of accusations about what you are and what you aren't and what you what you had to do to bring a story to life. And, and truthfully, most people don't fully get that. They don't really understand what's going on. And, you know, it's just the way it is. Uh, we can we can hope for the best, but it's not necessarily going to come that way. And so our job is to 
take complex things and simplify them so people can understand so they understand what's going on and so the idea though for us is if we're going to go through all of that trouble like if you're going to wade through a bunch of court documents if you're going to sit through meetings if you're going to track people down for interviews if you're going to do all of the things that you're going to do then it, it would probably make pretty good sense if you're going to go through that much trouble go ahead and do a try to do a really good job like tell a really good story tell the best story that you can tell you know because it's kind of silly just to go through a lot of effort to research and then write a bad narrative we don't want to do that so um if you're following around the powerpoint you are probably seeing a a um, photo it says this american life and it's got a picture of hourglass and if you want to see some kind of interesting stories that are are done in a way that is kind of off the beaten path that'd be a good podcast to listen to uh they started out as an npr show and then they've really kind of made a you know their own thing uh and ira actually you can actually there's a um an interview you can search i would post a link of it but it's changing constantly and if it's still out there um what is it called it's just it's basically it's our glass i'm talking about on getting better on, oh it's our glass on creativity and, it's, and it basically says or he basically says the only way that you're ever going to be get good is to do a lot of work you know there's this there's this point when people are starting out when creative people specifically when you you know what you want to do like you know like you want to like if you're a photographer like or a videographer or, or a writer whatever it happens to be and you're creating something and you look at it and it just doesn't quite measure up to whatever it is that you kind of had in your mind and and that disconnect is because you've got good taste and you know that the thing that you're not you're you're creating it's trying to be good but it's just not quite there and that's actually a good thing because that's telling you and that it's giving you sort of a guiding way to get better the worst people i want to say the worst yeah they're the worst at least they're, hard, they're the hardest for me to teach are the ones that kind of they put anything out there and they think it's amazing like they think well i drew a stick figure and i'm basically michelangelo now right i can't i can't possibly improve anymore because my first attempt was perfection don't be that person because it's well it's not all right so when it comes to back to the narrative your primary responsibility is to tell the actual truth and not just a version of it now truth is a tricky tricky thing because how do you define truth i mean we all have personal truths but you ask one person what the truth is and you ask another person the, what the truth is and you may come up with two completely different answers and this can be problematic so the best definition I can give you for truth as far as what we're doing right now is you take accurate facts, well-documented, re researched, provable 
facts and you tell them you relay those fact that factual information in its proper context like you can you can present factual information but also present it out of context and at that point you're no longer telling the truth so our job is to present factual information within its proper context now that will again you'll never make everybody happy because you know the other part of journalism is at least in the United States, our, we were designed to be the fourth unofficial state of government and specifically as an oppositional force against established government. And so we're not necessarily supposed to, you know, be the friends of the people that we're sitting in on the meeting. Our job is to be a watchdog, and that doesn't always go so well. Um, or it's not received so well sometimes. But our first job is to conduct solid research so your audience doesn't have to. So, and it's easy to cut corners for a lot of people. And, and again, this is the problem. You get a lot of other publications out there. It's just random people who have no journalism training at all. You know, they go to Google, they look for something. Oh, I found the thing I'm looking for, and it's confirmed exactly what I'm thinking. And ta da, here's my story. Well, that's. That's actually not research. Um, you know, in the world of like the scientific community, you come up with a hypothesis, and then your job is to try to prove yourself wrong, not to prove yourself right. And too often in sort of this modern media world where you've got people that don't really know what they're doing, uh, this is where confirmation bias comes out. I have an idea, and then I just find supporting information that confirms my idea. And while I'm at it, I may go ahead and ignore some of the information that wasn't quite so helpful, right? Um, if you're getting into theology, this is exegesising versus eisegesising. Exegesising is you're like, all right, I, I take this thing and I'm figuring out and I bring in information. I look at it all and then I, I try to see what does it mean? I look at all of these other parts, you know, all these multiple pieces, and I go, all right, what does this mean? I said Jesus thing in that part is I have an idea, and I'm just going to go randomly pick, you know, scripture or quotes or whatever that support my stuff. And that's where things get out of context, and so we don't want to do that. We want to make sure that we're presenting our information in context. And so we've got four common categories to look for what we would call quality sources. These are informal sources, institutional sources, scholarly sources, and journalistic sources. And I'll dive deep into each of those, or at least to the you know middle of the pool, maybe not all the way to the deep end. Informal sources are basically you. You're out there on the ground doing the job. And these are your personal observations. So you know, whatever it happens to be. So I spent a couple of years researching uh, immigration on the border. And while I was there, I met a lot of people. I saw a lot of things. And I was able to come to some of my own conclusions that, you know, no one else had to tell me. Just sort of, it was my own observations from being someone there paying attention. So in that particular case, I become an informal source. Now, an institutional source is when you get a representative from a specific organization. 
So if you are doing uh, local city government and you interview the mayor or a city council member, those people are what we would call an institutional source. If you're doing something on the medical field and you interview a doctor, that person is an institutional source, specifically if they represent a certain hospital, like you're doing research on a hospital and what that particular hospital is doing, then that doctor who works at that hospital is a representative of that hospital and becomes an institutional resource. Now, scholarly sources are the people or the things that, you know, people who have titles like professor do, um, you know, universities, a lot of what people kind of forget about from the student side is all the, the faculty aren't just teaching. They're also doing a lot of research and they're writing scholarly papers and they're doing a lot of um, other stuff. And that scholarly work, you know, the idea is they're, they're trying to expand knowledge. And that, that information, so again, somebody writes a paper and then it gets submitted and it gets what we call peer reviewed. So it gets, it gets reviewed by other people who are basically trying to prove it wrong or look for holes in the arguments. And then, you know, it goes back and corrections are made or not made or whatever it happens to be. And it gets accepted or rejected and then it gets published. And so if you're looking for, you know, these things can get kind of pretty esoteric. But if you're looking for specific information, you know, sometimes you can find it there. And it's usually good information because it's been really well vetted. But we also have journalistic sources. So look go back to what I was saying in the very beginning about, you know, the kind of things that we write uh, and you maybe want to do research and sort of history, what else is going on. Um, so you may go back and look at an old copy of, let's say you want to do research on 9-11. So maybe one of the things you want to do is go pull up old issues of the New York Times from September of 2011 and sort of follow the path of, you know, what happened from, I would say, you know, September 12th on and see how those stories ran. Those would be journalistic sources. Again, they're well vetted because if you're going to publish in a place like that, then again, these things have to be approved. You know, a journalist can't just write something and nobody looks at it. You know, these things get fact-checked. So moving on, if I can get it to click. There we go. Things to be aware of. First of all, be aware of socially constructed sources like wikis. Let's talk about Wikipedia for a moment. There's a lot of reasons why professors won't let you use Wikipedia as a source. And the primary reason is because Wikipedia can be changed and, you know, by someone who may not be accurate the thing about it is though they're actually pretty good now um, I think statistically Wikipedia is as accurate as any other um, source out there the thing is though you always run the risk so if somebody changes something it's probably going to get caught and changed back to whatever's accurate now there can be some weirdness in there and sometimes you may have a couple of different editors of an argue of a of an article, kind of going back and forth and trying to determine what is truth. Going back to that earlier 
question. What is truth? What's accurate? And so the problem is for you, the person looking at that, is you might catch information in one of those sort of moments of flux. And so, and that's not good. We don't want that. So you really, it's not a smart idea to use it as your primary research. However, it's not a bad idea to use it as a place to start because in this day and age, you know, Wikipedia sources are cited. So if you're looking for a place where, you know, the original research or information where they wrote that article, you, it, it gives you a pretty good list right from the beginning. So if you, if you're working on a subject and you don't know where to start, that's not a bad place to go. You're like, okay, here's a article on this and they use these sources and I got those sources now and now I can go back to the original information. So I'm not getting it third party and I know it's accurate or at least stands a better chance of being accurate. So beware of those. Also avoid citing lesser known blogs and websites. Um, when I was going back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, I just shared an article from the Atlantic that was less than favorable about the president. One of the things we'll just call him a hater sent me was an article trying to refute that story. And the article in the website, it was a terrible website. Um, from a lay person, it seemed to make sense to them. But as someone with a trained journalistic eye, I was just like, Oh, this is, there's, this is all opinion here. There's, there's nothing here. That's like actual research. It's just, here's a person who has a website and all they're doing is telling you what they think about things. That's not journalism. That is something else entirely. That's opinion writing. And you know, so, you know, it's not getting vetted. The information is not getting vetted in a way it's partisan and it's got an, it's agenda driven and all of these things and yes some journalistic outlets can be agenda driven as well but the other thing to consider is if you get away from a, the opinion stuff stick to the hard news even if the publication itself is agenda driven you have to ask on whether or not the stuff that they're presenting is factually accurate and if it is then it's still factually accurate. It doesn't matter if it's a right wing or left wing um, publication or, you know, as moderate as they get, if it's accurate, it's accurate. Um, and so, and you typically don't find that on the sort of the lesser known independent thing. So, you know, independent journalism seems to be one of those things that seems to be really popular right now. And some of them are pretty good, but there's a lot of them that aren't. Um, but every one of them are claiming that they hold the truth. Um, and I usually get, the more someone tries to convince me that they alone are, are telling you the truth, the more wary I am of them. Um, because if you have to try that hard to convince people that you're telling them the truth, you're probably not. Just so you know. Also, avoid low-hanging fruit as far as sources like convenient sources like your friends, your neighbors, your family, like don't go to sources just because they're easy to find. Like, especially for you in college, you're working on a story and you're like, I need to find a good source. And you're like, Hey, I'll just interview my roommate. That's kind of a terrible way to go about things. 
um, because you're just you're going for easy sources better more than you're doing quality sources and we want to go for quality so question is how do you find quality sources you know part of it is as a journalist you need you kind of need to learn how things work um, a lot of people are sort of ignorant about the ways the world works they you know again everybody says like the government's doing it well yeah which part of the government exactly how does that happen what is going on you know if you grew up watching or you, I guess you can find it on YouTube now like um, schoolhouse rocks um, how's the bill become a law you know you find all of these sources um, but for print here's you know basic groundwork stuff if you're wanting to cite a newspaper article let's just start with there you're, you see an article on online the, the first thing I would do is do a background check on the author and find out if you know they actually are an expert in the field do have they written more things about this are they actually qualified to write this story um, I remember finding one it was pretty inflammatory it was getting passed around a lot and there was it was just a whole lot of stuff about it and I, don't, I don't remember the story or the context of the story but I just followed the author back and it turned out it was the person who wrote it was uh, simply an intern with no real background and no real much of anything and and the more I dug the, I, the more I realized there's there's really nothing here that's just someone who's acting like they know a lot more than they actually do you know and they may write with confidence and it feels right but turns out it's it's not so make sure you do a back check on the author and find out if they've actually got the chops to do this also check the information against multiple sources and specifically check it against you know reputable sources don't you know you're not checking this against people who don't like you know who don't agree with it like you know if it, if they feel like it's wrong you know you I don't care if someone feels I don't I don't care what someone's emotion is about a thing my question is is it accurate or is it not accurate and so I check the information against multiple sources because some people again going back to confirmation bias some people will publish stuff because they think it's absolutely accurate and they won't you know because it agrees with their own bias and they don't they don't pay attention to it and they just send it on out there and other people will flat out you know reject it because it doesn't match what they're thinking you know check it just check it also make sure it's recent you know this catches a lot of people you know you'll see you know a story comes out and actually it came out you know a year ago but people are passing around as if it's you know new you know kind of more in a I guess a uh, if you're doing some a, a different kind of story you know more of a research historical study if you're doing something on like cancer research like you want you want to make sure you're getting information that's current like you don't want to you don't want to pull research back from the 80s uh, on you know new cancer treatments because you know this, it might have been new in the 80s but it's certainly not new now unless you know you're trying to write a story about how things went from one place to another place you know that becomes something else entirely so um, just make sure the publication that you're citing is recent and up to date also go to official websites so if you're looking for labor statistics for the US um, 
a lot of you know governmental websites are non-political um at least they try to be so like specifically like the bureau of labor statistics if you're trying to find out information on unemployment you know labor statistics is a good place to go um u.s geological survey if you want more stuff about you know the land and kind of the way things lay out you know all of these things and so you know labor statistics is bls.gov uh, U.S. Geological Survey, USGS.gov, you know, and you can go to all these different, you know, places. Again, these are non-political government, governmental agencies. Uh, just because somebody works for the government doesn't mean they're necessarily a Republican or a Democrat. They're just, there's somebody who just does a job and they report. Now, if you're getting a human source, get an expert. Um, and if someone claims to be an expert, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier as far as, you know, journalistic, you know, a, a uh, institutional source or whatever they happen to be, make sure they're actually qualified to speak. Um, you can speak to victims, people who are affected by a particular thing, you know, so if you had an earthquake or a tornado, some kind of disaster, you can talk to someone who was affected by that. Um... Officials, again, back to if you're talking about government agencies, people who can represent something. Uh, and, you know, community members can be, if they have something to do with the story. What you want to avoid are the stories that are things like, well, I, I wasn't there, but I heard, right? Um, you don't want third party stuff. You want, I didn't, I heard this from my cousin. You, you, you don't want that. You want, I heard. Um, I was there. This is what I saw. And uh, there's a thing on Facebook. It gets kind of crazy. But it's what you, you really need to try to avoid bad logic. Uh, don't cite stuff that's just bad, bad logic. And there's a lot of bad stuff out there these days. It's conspiracy driven. It's, it's ignorance driven. It's just bad. You know, again, it's people with a belief about things. And they try to you know it's it's the cramming a you know square block through a you know or a square peg through a round hole it just doesn't work and they try so hard to make it fit so yeah all right so assignments you've got a couple actually for this week so you're gonna pretty much hate me so one of the things that i see that gets published Every now and then, whenever gas goes up or gas gets cheap, it too, all too often the American president gets either credit or blame for the price of gas. So one of the things that I want you to do, and this is on Blackboard, is I want you to research the role that the U.S. president has in determining the price of gasoline in the United States. And uh, it says on here on your blog, but what we're doing is on Blackboard, and I want you to cite three to five credible sources using the uh, matrix that we, we talked about today. What makes a credible source? So I need you to cite three to five credible sources and tell me what kind of source they are. All right. Now we're going to jump to interviewing. This one's going to be kind of a little bit longer one. So now we're actually officially moving into um, interviewing. This is probably, if you wanted to take a break between one block or one um, podcast and the next this would be a good spot that was me drinking water so you're doing your research 
you find good quality people. Now, the next thing that's important for you to do is to be able to extract quality information from those people. Extract seems like a kind of a clinical term, but you know, this is what we simply call interviewing and interviewing is, is a form of art and it's a science. Um, interview someone who's a good interviewer is good at conversation but they're you know they get lost in conversation but you know and they draw people in they make them feel comfortable they get them to talk um, but they don't dominate the conversation they, they make sure they're they're getting the other person talking and they're keeping them talking and so your job is more as a catalyst of the other person talking so here's some advice first thing record it so we all take notes if you're smart while you're doing an interview but if you get so tied down to writing things in your notebook you're doing a couple of things one you're you're preoccupying your brain too much and you're not going to be able to focus enough on the conversation and two your nonverbals are going to be telling the other person you know you're creating an awkward conversation moment for them because you're all, you know, you continually looking down at your notebook, right? So use a recording device and record the stuff. And I would say on the front end, hit record. And we'll talk a little bit about this later. Hit record and then make sure you're actually recording before you go. Like hit record for a few seconds and hit play. Make sure it's working right. And then go from there. All right. So record the thing. Two, be prepared. Don't walk into an interview completely cold. Like you need to know as much about the subject matter as possible because you're simply going to be able to ask better questions this way. Like if you walk in and you don't know squat, then it's going to show and you're going to, you're going to ask, you know, sophomore level questions and, and you're going to get information, a lot of information that you probably could have gotten, um, just by simply researching and not even talking to those people. You want to you want to have as much information as you possibly can going into it so you can ask them the best possible questions so they can get so that you, they can give you the best possible responses. And also it's practice. Lots of practice. Unless you've got years of experience, it's a good idea to practice asking questions and really practice making conversation with people you don't really know that well. It's, it's one thing to have a lot of conversation with someone that you've known for years, you know, one of your friends, and you can sit around and you can talk and you're comfortable and you've relaxed and you can do all these things. That's one thing. It's something else entirely to do this with a complete stranger. So you're going to have to practice. Find somebody you don't really know well and get them talking. Um. So when we get this thing going, you know, you get that interview going, you're sitting down, you know, one of the things you probably don't want to do is just jump straight into the tough questions. Just, or just don't even jump into the questions. Just sit down and make some general chit chat. Just make some small talk, you know, depending on how much time you've got, you may be getting in and out. Um, if you're doing long form journalism, you may be talking to this person for an hour or two or longer. It kind of depends just make some conversations so you, what you're doing is you're acclimating yourself to that person and you're allowing them to acclimate to you you're sort of getting used to each other's conversation style and you're just simply getting used to each other and those things are important so we want to make sure that we can do that 
And then once you move from that step, that point to the next, you want to start asking a few softball questions. You know, things that aren't too confrontational. You're just sort of easing it. In. And this point, you might even be asking some questions that you already kind of know the answer to. You know, you're not putting them on the spot. You're not immediately, you know, asking them if they did the crime or whatever it is. You're just, you're just asking, you know, giving them a chance to give their spill, whatever their spill is. Let them relax. And then next, you want to keep it conversational. You don't want to just have a bunch of bullet point questions and you just read the questions, they answer, you read the next question and you answer. Your job is to keep it conversational. Keep it in the narrative mode, which is, again, how we're wired. We like narrative. We don't just want kind of Q&A stuff. Um, and so learn how to ask those kind of questions in a conversational style where you, you may have a list of questions, but you want to work those into the larger conversation. And that's going to keep the both the questions and the answers feeling pretty natural. Also, make sure you know your questions in advance. Like, you know, go in there with a list of, like, questions that you know you have to have answered. Like, I have to come out with this information. You may, you know, in your, you may be on your bullet list, but you're, you're going to, you have to make sure that you're working that in a conversation. If you're looking at your notes, that's one of those, did I check this, did I check this, and do I need to have any follow-up questions that go along with that? And the other thing is, your job's primarily there to listen. Um, have you ever had a conversation with people and they always want to dominate the conversation? They'll ask you a question, you'll get three words out, and then they just pick back up and start telling you a story about them. That's not your job. If your job is to be the catalyst for the other person talking. We want them fully engaged in this conversation and you're just kind of keeping the, you're keeping that ball rolling. Nudge them along. If, you know, if you don't think they're fully answering the question, like you may ask a question and they, you know, they get sidetracked and they go down another road, you know, your job is to bring them back. Um, make sure that they answer it, but you know, and you're creating an environment where they're free to talk and, um, and you're free primarily to listen um you know you may want to jump in there to kind of show that you know what they're talking about that you understand and that again keeps them going you got your nonverbals going you're making you know all the right kind of eye contact and your body language is, is showing that you're interested in this thing and you keep them going also learn how to back off sometimes so it depending on depending on the story you may or may not be talking to someone who really wants you talking to them. Um, maybe maybe it's an, a story that's just not favorable for them, and they just don't want to look bad, and or whatever whatever the reason is that they're not super thrilled to be in this conversation. And there's some sensitive subjects in there. If you feel and you can, and you'll feel it, uh, if that person's getting agitated, there's you don't want them just to cut off the conversation, throw down the microphone and walk off. Your job is maybe to step back, ask a softer question, let them, you know, kind of ease, you know, not get so defensive and then move on, you know, and then, you know, try to rebuild that trust a little bit and eventually nudge again, you're nudging them toward, you know, the answering the questions that you need answered.
something that will often come up in that world is someone who just says no comment. Um, this happens pretty often. Um, but one of the things that you need to relate to them is when someone says no comment, very often the audience or the people reading, you know, the story or watching it, when they see that from a psychological standpoint, there's, it's very often perceived as an admission of guilt. So when somebody you're asking somebody a question, they're like, no, no comment. Sometimes your job is to go, okay, it's absolutely you're right not to answer that question. However, you know, the people at home that see this, when they see that you won't comment on it, they're going to draw conclusions because, you know, the mind hates a vacuum. And if you're not answering it, you're sort of subtly saying or not so subtly saying that, yeah, I'm guilty of whatever this thing is. And what you're really doing at this moment is you're not trying to pin them to a wall. You're giving them an opportunity to tell their side. And that may or may not help. You know, they may stick to it and you just sort of have to deal with that and go on. Um, you know, but don't just take that at face value. Also, staying off the record. So again, going back to the story in the Atlantic, all the sources uh, chose to remain anonymous. Though, if you've been following the story, it's pretty obvious who at least some of those people were. Uh, but they didn't want their names there. And they're like, hey, I want to, you know, this is off the record. Or, you know, I'm, a, I'm an honest. Off the record means I'm going to tell you something and you're not going to print it. You're not going to include it. Uh, or they want to remain anonymous. And your job is, as a journalist, is to protect those people. Um you know, a lot of people don't understand why someone would want to remain anonymous while they're giving a story. And there's a lot of reasons. Part of it is, you know, they may be afraid of reprisal. They may be, you know, they, they want to keep their job. They want to keep the things that are going. Or they may, you know, they may be afraid for their own personal safety. Um, depends on the story and kind of what's going on. Uh, things, things can go wrong. So be respectful. And if you say you know, you're going to keep it off the record, then it's your duty and responsibility to, to stick to that. Also, when we're talking about nonverbal communication, pay attention to what people are doing and watch for signs that people are being defensive, that they're holding back, or they're avoiding answer answering the questions. Um, we didn't cover it in this class, but you can go back and look at some of my other uh, classes where we talk about nonverbal communication. Um, there's a podcast episode on it. A good interviewer knows how to read these signs uh, and they're also it's you know and how to respond appropriately also if you're you know for law enforcement this is if you're doing interrogations this is again the same kind of thing what people you know because they're interviewing suspects or witnesses or whatever they're doing again very similar things to what journalists do and you know, you know, you learn how to read if people are being evasive or if they're being open and honest with you. And something that just is a good way to close out an interview, just simply ask people if there's something that they'd like to say that you didn't ask about. Um, you'd be surprised what can come out. I have done 
it's been it's, it was a while but in an interview it probably went for a solid hour and it was about all the things that i thought i wanted to talk about and then i interviewed you know i was interviewing this guy and i just got to the end i was like is there anything else you want to tell me and he was like oh yeah and he started telling me this other story and like within like 30 seconds i realized everything i had told him in the previous hour was worthless now because this new story was way better than anything i'd you know thought i was coming and bringing to the table and so you know find those things now you've got the sources you've done the narrative or you've done the interviews and now it's time to start putting it together and you want to put these things together in a story form again more water by the way i put a something i started doing when i was in texas is i started cutting up a lime just cut it in half and throwing it in a big yeti and I just drink that all day and I get a little, little lime water all day. Get your vitamin C, plus it's just good. Like it. All right, back to it. Narrative arc. So we're putting this thing together. We have different forms of writing within the context of journalism. You know, we've got uh, the inverted pyramid. Uh, we've got, depending on what kind of story we're doing, uh, the narrative arc is what I'm going to be talking about now. And again, if you want to go back and look at listen to another podcast, I go way deep in the narrative arc on um, a podcast. Just two parts called um, on story. You can go listen to that if you want. Narrative arc is primarily broken down into four primary acts. You've got the beginning; it's the introduction. This is where you meet your protagonists. You meet um, the world that they live in. And you define what normal is for that person. Um, the story I use in the other podcast is Harry Potter. Um, in the beginning, you meet this young boy. He's living under the stairs. You find out, you know, what his aunt and uncle are like and his cousin and his world and, you know, and all of these things. Uh, and you, he's just sort of a sad little boy living a very kind of pitiful life. And... And people are constantly reminding them that there's absolutely nothing special about him. And then the next thing that comes along is something we call the inciting incident. And this is where in the rising action begins at this point. And the inciting incident is this thing that sort of knocks normal off its feet. The inciting incident is causes the character to have to make a decision. They decide that they want something. They need to do something. And they have to make a choice. So again, in Harry Potter, uh, it kind of starts where the, the owls start trying to deliver the letters, but then really it comes to a head when Hagrid kicks down the door and hands Harry a birthday cake and, tell, and tells him in person that he's been you know, accepted into the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. And in fact, he is actually a very special boy. This is the inciting incident. Something has changed and his decision at that point is whether or not to go. To go with Hagrid, you know, a giant that he's never met. Uh, take a risk. He does. So the thing that comes next is you get conflict. So the moment your character decides that they want something, you immediately have the forces of conflict pushing back against them. Conflict is is constantly trying to impede resolution. Um, 
you know, once the inciting incident comes in, you basically it creates chaos for the character. And the you know, when we're, we're working toward resolution, that's because we're working back to something that resembles order again. And the other thing that's really important with conflict is it establishes the value of the thing desired uh, and the commitment of the protagonist. So, how much? It's essentially it's asking the question: How much does this person really want this thing? Like, what are they willing to go through to get this thing? And the more they're willing to go through, the higher the value of that thing. You know, so if you've got a character, they want something, it gets immediately hard, and they're like, eh, never mind. Not a good story. Not a good character. Must not have been worth much. Maybe they're not worth much. Uh, and so, you know, they're willing to push when things get difficult. And then you eventually get to the climax. You know, we've got some other things. We can have negative turns. We can have other things. We get the falling action. Um, you know, things start to work toward resolution. And then finally, they do resolve. They do come to a, you know, sort of a head. And, and order is once again reinstated. Now, ethics. Um, we offer a class specifically on ethics. Uh, and this is, again, the thing, one of the things we get accused of oh so often is not having any. But truth is, we uh, there's quite a bit. Uh, one of the ways that you can tell if it's a good publication is you can sort of look at the rules of ethics. And, you know, the Society of Professional Journalists have a strong rule of ethics or a code of ethics. Um, there's lots of ethics, but basically they come down to this. Our job's not to alter. We, we never alter the meaning of information provided by our sources. We don't take information and, and then change the context of that information. It goes back to what I was talking about at the beginning is if you have something that is, you've got factual information, but you present it out of context. At that point, you're no longer telling the truth. Um, you know, this can happen in certain ways. If you have a quote and you you have a stand, you know, you use a standalone sentence and alone by itself, it seems, you know, pretty terrible. But if you add the, you know, the three sentences that led up to that, you realize it wasn't terrible at all. Um, you know, did the person say this? Yes, they did say that. What did they say right before that? Well, they said this. Oh, well, if you, they said that, then that changes the entire meaning. So, you know, our, our job is to keep things straight. Uh, libel, again, with the ethics, is a published false statement is damaging to a person's reputation. So the specific thing here, libel is only libel if it's not true. If you go back to kind of the, the founding principles of American journalism, is we came up with this sort of really weird concept. It was the idea that it should never be illegal to tell the truth. And so it doesn't really matter how painful a thing is that we report. If it's true, then it's protected speech. And it's not liable, no matter how much somebody may screams it is. It becomes liable as if you write some, some kind of you know defamatory thing and it's not true. You know, and these things can happen for political reasons, like somebody could publish something horrific about a candidate, you know, days before an election, you know, and it may not be true, but, you know, like they're, oh, it'll work out, but it'll work out after the election. And it might just have been damaging enough to get enough people not to vote, you know, so this is where the things come in. 
Copyright protects the authors of original artistic or literary work fixed in a tangible meaning. This includes books, videos, DVDs, CDs, computer files, and pretty much everything on the web. So we don't want to steal these things. Sometimes we can use them. Um, there's ways that we can do things for fair use. You know, you don't want to take somebody else's stuff and then treat it as your own. Um, you want to make sure, you know, you're, you're following the letter of the law as best you can. And, and honestly, in this kind of point in time, things are getting kind of weird in that world, especially in the online and social media world. You know, sometimes you can, in one place, you know, you can play videos that belong to, you know, somebody else, but really they're still getting credit for it. So it's strange at times. So sometimes it's a little, the waters are a little muddy, muddy, but um, for the most part, you know, just be honest, best you can. Um, we've got linking as far as ethics. It's it's pretty common if you want to link to someone's website um, occasionally and I think it's only happened to me once that a organization has asked that I not link my website to their website you know I was writing an article and they did not want the link established and it was they said it was just simply a policy they had fair enough they didn't want it you know I can still call them by name but you know tell people where to go find them uh, I just choose to be respectful of their wishes all right so here's five tips for every medium this chapter is pretty long so i told you you could take a break a while ago maybe you did maybe you're wishing you had now so the thing about different mediums is that video and photographic and audio moments often occur at the same time um, and it's hard to do a good job doing all of them at once. And, you know, maybe with video and audio, you can capture a lot because you're doing them simultaneously. But if you're trying to get still photos at the same time you're doing video, that's going to be a tough nut to crack. Um, I've tried that. It's hard. It's easier if you've got a camera that'll do both and you can just flip a switch. But for the most part, you know, you're going to kind of get one or the other. So just remember, keep that in mind, like what's the most important to you and then focus on that. Also just have a plan, but be ready to adapt. Things change. Uh, that's the kind of the rule of journalism. Things will change and you just need to be able to be ready to adapt to that change. Something that's just sort of basic logistics and it's caught everyone that I know. Check your equipment and make sure your batteries are charged. And make sure you have enough storage space on your whatever storage device. If it's an SD card or whatever it happens to be, make sure you have enough space to record whatever it is that you're setting down to record. Because you don't want to be halfway through it and realize that your battery ran out or you just ran out of storage. And yeah, you just don't want to be that guy or girl. You just don't want to. It's annoying and it happens, but mostly it's something that's preventable also don't lose focus you know we're talking about interviews and things changing remember your remember the kind of the core responsibility you have for that story and trying to tell it make sure that you stay focused make sure the people you're dealing with stay focused and be a savvy problem solving solver things change people change stories change don't be the person who's waiting for somebody else to solve your problem. Um, 
don't be the person who you know is calling your producer or editor and you're freaking out because it's an interview got canceled or something changed and you don't know what to do the best case scenario in something like that is you call them and you already like hey this fell apart and this is what i want to do and they're going to be like yeah man that's cool do that or hey why don't you do this instead but you come to them with a solution rather than a problem also you ought to be able to get a story at any given moment like if we were meeting in class right now like one of the things i would do is say right now because i would do this in a class and we'd still have some time i want you to go out and find me a story and i need you i need you to come back within 30 minutes with a story idea and exactly what you're going to do and who you're going to talk about and talk to however i can't kick you out into the world and for you to show up immediately um so i just made an assignment i want you to go find me a story find a person that you don't know and i want you to interview them find me just something interesting Find a good story. It doesn't have to be groundbreaking or earth-shattering. This is simply, it's a good story, it's a good narrative, and it's true. Then I want you to write it. 750 to 1,000 words. AP style. And it must have a photograph. So, tell me something interesting. And then I will see you all next week and we're going to get out of here with the one and only the one and only Dr. John see you next time this is your captain speaking I'm out When I look over 
Pick up every stick. 